Good morning. Our first scripture reading is 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13, and it can be found on page 443 in your pew Bibles. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Before Sharon reads the Gospel from John chapter 9, just a suggestive word of guidance uh, as we listen, I want to invite you to not follow along in your Bibles. Don't follow along. Uh, John 9. I'm, I'm so grateful so many of you bring your Bibles and, are int- and want to follow along. But I'm going to ask you for this scripture to either close your eyes or to do whatever you need to do to listen to this story. And as Sharon reads it, I'd like you to do this. Listen with this question. Are you ready? Who am I in the story? Who am I in the story? Not who would I like to be or who was I last week. Today, right now, who am I? Who is you? Who is me in this story? So I invite you to close your eyes, do whatever you need to do so that you really can hear and focus and listen as Sharon reads from John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. 
But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. The second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In 
fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. us where we are, wherever we find ourselves today, whatever we carry with us, it's not too much for you. So Lord, open us up, open our eyes, open our spiritual eyes. Let us receive the sight that only you can grant. Change us, O God, for this we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I was in third grade in Mr. Lingley's class. I started making a lot of mistakes on my homework. I sat near the back. And Mr. Lingley would be at the chalkboard writing out math equations, which I was supposed to copy down and figure the solution to kept making mistakes. And we'd move on to spelling. And I'd make common spelling errors. And then we'd do simple sentence diagrams. Do any of you remember diagramming sentences? Gosh, I loved that so much. It made so much sense to me. Finding the subject and the verb and the direct object. Oh, it was great. Well, I was making mistakes on those two. Finally, my parents took me to the optometrist. Because I couldn't see well. So when I got glasses and I could see that chalkboard nice and crisp and clear, my grades came back up. Isn't it incredible? Something like poor eyesight, and you put a piece of glass in front of your eyes, now you can see. Without these on, I can't see any of you. Maybe you, some of you were saying, oh, is that how it works? When you're looking at me, I'll take my glasses off. can't see you. When I put these on there, you are. Isn't that incredible? How many of you struggle with your eyesight? Where you wear corrective lenses of some sort? And how many of you remember the first time you really noticed a deficiency in your eyesight? Can you imagine, just for a moment, if you can relate to that just a little bit? Maybe you, at nighttime when you take your glasses or your contacts out and You try to make your way from your bathroom to your bedroom. Just imagine for just a moment what that would be like if that were your permanent condition. All the time, everywhere you went, you couldn't see. Now imagine something even, I think, worse than that. Imagine not being able to see. Imagine being blind. Imagine being born blind. And then imagine sitting outside every day begging for someone to notice you. 
You see, friends, it's one thing to not be able to see. Follow me here. It's one thing to not be able to see. It's another thing to never be seen. Do you hear the difference? Imagine both. Not being able to see, being born blind, dependent on someone for everything. But then not being seen. Blindness in antiquity was was very common. And the blind would sit at places where they knew they could beg for alms, where there might be people who would go by who would take pity on them. There were places it was believed that maybe you could be healed. Different pools. Remember the pool of Bethsaida in the Gospels. There were different places in the ancient world where those who had a physical malady, like blindness, would congregate and sit hoping, praying, begging for someone to do something what so often happened with these folks in the ancient world is they weren't seen. Oh, people would walk by them all day, but they wouldn't see them. Have you ever been in a room, maybe, and uh, somebody walks in and starts to introduce themselves and greets people, and perhaps through no fault of their own, just treats you as if you aren't even there? You know how that feels, don't you? not a good feeling. Imagine every day people go by you and they don't see you. Perhaps we can start to get our hands around the condition of this man born blind. He's blind from birth and people around him are also blind to his very presence. As I've mentioned to you, these texts from John during Lent are a preacher's nightmare because there's so much in them. I could preach for weeks on these 41 verses, but I only have a few minutes, Bill. <laughs> so I want to I wanna pull out a couple of things that just astounded me on a read-through of this scripture text. Who sinned, this man or his parents, asked the religious leaders. As Sharon read that scripture, and as I too closed my eyes and listened for myself in this scripture, I have an embarrassing confession to make to you. I am too often like those religious leaders. Heck, I am one. Look. I got the fancy clothes to prove it. I've been to seminary. I've been to seminary after seminary. I know a lot of stuff. And the religious leaders in Jesus' day are well educated and they know a lot of stuff. And they're often the people who are the most critical when grace shows up. They're the most hostile to healing. They're the most angry when someone is set free because they want to know why. How'd this happen? Why'd this happen? Does he deserve it? Who sinned? Him or his parents? They want to make sense of the situation. 
They want someone to blame. The religious leaders at their core, I think, the thing that Jesus indicts over and over again is this. They want to be the arbiters of God's grace. They want to be the ones who determine who gets it and who doesn't. Friends, I find so often it's, I think perhaps it's part of the human condition. Because maybe as Sharon read that scripture from John, you sat in your pew and you listened and you thought, oh no, just like Pastor Evan, I find myself like those religious leaders. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Then they call him in. Then they call his parents in. Then they call him back. Trying to figure out what happened. How could someone who was born blind, now see, doesn't make sense. If you've been paying attention over the last couple of weeks, you know that John is not only a theological genius, but he's a literary master. He crafts these incredible stories and interactions and dialogues that we're meant to understand on multiple levels. Did Jesus literally heal a man born blind? Yes, he did. Does it also mean something else? Yes, it does. Over and over again in scripture, blindness becomes an analogy for a spiritual condition. The church calls this, are you ready? I'm going to be one of those religious leaders and talk to you about big fancy churchy terms. The church calls this original sin. That all of us are born into this dysfunctional world with dysfunctional patterns ingrained within us. All of us do, without exception. All of us are birthed into spiritual blindness. Just like this man who from birth couldn't see. John wants us to grapple with this and to understand that all of us, all of us are this anonymous man born blind. All of us are. Because his condition is the same as all of us. We're born into this world blind. Spiritually, we cannot see. We cannot perceive. We can't truly understand God until someone comes opens our eyes. So here's this man who's a stand-in for all of us. That's what John intends us to get from this scripture. There's a man born blind, and yet this man is also Jackie and Judy and Bill and Pete and Rick. All of us have the same condition. And when Jesus comes along, when Jesus comes and opens our eyes. Isn't it wonderful? Doesn't this story end nice and neatly? Isn't everybody happy and excited? No, they're not. I mean, Bill's excited. I'm excited that Bill's excited. But in this scripture, no. The religious leaders are mad. They get upset at the parents because the parents, did you listen to both the parents? They're kind of cowards. Oh, we're kind of afraid of you, so don't ask us. Go ask our son. He 
he's, he's old enough to be able to tell you. They go to the son again. Who healed you? They get mad that there's this rabble-rousing guy who claims to be the Messiah going around and healing people. Who does he think he is? And in that one moment, we have a frame into the human condition. Jesus touched somebody's life? That can't be. You don't know this person. Jesus, that God, changed so-and-so's life? That can't be true. What does the blind man say? He says, I don't get it. I can't explain it to you in fancy church words. All I know is this. I was blind, and now I can see. That's it in a nutshell, in a sentence. I was blind, and now I can see. My, my, my. Isn't that what it is when Jesus touches a life? The temptation can be, even from good religious people, to try to dissect it, to try to understand it, to attempt to be in judgment over it. And yet John shows us clearly that when Jesus comes in and touches someone's life, when the spiritual blindness is cleared up and the person can see for the first time, doesn't matter how it happened. It doesn't matter the fancy words that you use to describe it. All that matters is a person who used to be blind now can see. This scripture is convicting, friends. Because I find that the religious leaders in Jesus' day, it's not a whole lot different than the state of the church in 2023. I, and I dare say maybe some of you, if we're honest, and if we were to go around and we were to say, all right, when you listen to the scripture being read, who are you? I dare say a couple of you might say, yeah religious leaders too. The temptation is even here in our churches today to put so much stuff around the work of God that when someone who is blind now can see, our first impulse is not to rejoice with them. It's not to love them. It's not to stand in awe and wonder at the miracle of sight. It's to say, how did that happen? Why did that happen? Tell me more. You need to explain what this man did for you. And so many people come through the doors of the church looking for a place where they can say just what that man said. I don't know. I don't get it. All I know is that I once was blind, but now I can see. And what are we doing here at St. Paul's? What are we doing in our spheres of influence to, to create such a space for, for God to work through us 
that people see us and they see us and they know that's a follower of Jesus. Maybe, maybe I can share with that person what God has done for me and they won't judge me. Maybe I can share with that person and tell my story of how I was blind and now I see. Maybe, maybe that's a place where people won't judge me for what happened in the past, but will accept me now because of what God has done for me. Friends, I said last week, Lent is a time to get back to spiritual basics. And there's no spiritual concept that is more basic than this, that when Jesus comes into a life, when the blindness is gone and sight is restored, friends, that's just the beginning. Where does the blind man go and wash? At the pool of Siloam. And the gospel writer of John says that means a place called Sent. Sent. If you're here today and your spiritual blindness has been abated by the grace of God, that doesn't end things. That's just the beginning. Now you're sent. Now you go. Now you share. Now you tell. And friends, don't worry if you don't have words to put to it. All you need to do is say what this man said. I don't know how it happened. But all I know was that I once was blind, but now I can see. Isn't that just like Jesus? To change a life in such a profound way that it's beyond words, that's beyond categorization, that all we can do is stand up and say, I don't know how it happened. All I know. I once was blind, but now I see. Here's to the blind folks that Jesus has touched, saved and restored. May we not fall into the trap of trying to judge it, of trying to understand it, of doubting that it's real just because we can't get our finite human minds around it. God's grace and mercy is so vast and so far beyond anything that you and I can ever, ever comprehend. Jesus still walks among us. He still moves. He still puts his hands on eyes and restores sight. And now the work begins for us to go out and to bear witness to the only one who can open the eyes of the blind. And may we stand with that blind man, loving all people, and saying with them, yeah, I don't know how it happened for me. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see.